Welcome to the Uncharted Podcast. I am your host, Inez Franklin. My hope for you today is that we discover faith beyond the boundaries. Uncharted is intended to be a safe place for you to listen, learn, and challenge yourself along your journey of faith. May grace and peace be with you today. Welcome to the show. Hey, friends, thank you so much for joining us again for the Uncharted podcast with Inez Franklin. I am very excited that you're going to listen to Rebecca Lyons today. She's a dear friend, but she's also an amazing speaker, national speaker, international speaker, actually. She has written many books. She is the co-founder of Q Ideas, the conference, which if you don't know about it, go to qideas.org, check that out. Wonderful conversations that are relevant to us who are trying to live out our faith in today's culture. Now, here's the thing about why I asked Rebecca to join us. In this journey of faith, we experience all kinds of things. We talked about spiritual abuse last week, and we need to recover from that. And how do we do that, right? But also, there's the reality that uh, mental health is an issue for many of us. And it is often filled with shame. And, uh, or, or statements about our faith that are very painful. And in a sense, they become uh, areas for spiritual abuse as well. So I, I thought these two together would be a great combination to have her voice talk about the uh, openness and the awareness of uh, mental illness uh, among our midst and how it is that it affects our journey of faith and how we can um, really talk about it, uh, be encouraging to one another, and how we walk with God even in those seasons and how God uh, equips us, heals us, and even uses us to help others. So thanks again for joining us today. I, I hope you'll really enjoy this. Let's listen up to Rebecca. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining today. I'm, I'm very interested in the issue of anxiety. I, a lot of the people that I meet have shared with me that on their journey of faith, they experience anxiety of some sort, and that throws them into a crisis of faith. That, that in itself throws them into a crisis of faith. So my heart is for those who are listening to kind of hear a little bit about your journey and how you have reconciled that experience with your faith with God, your own faith journey, if it actually even affected it. You know, I don't want to assume that that's something you experienced. I know some of the people I've talked to have. Yeah. Well, for me, it was such a crash and burn that lasted about a year and a half for about a decade ago. It was panic disorder. So it began in panic attacks that I wasn't expecting. And I I found that I was doing a lot of crying out to God. So in... For me, it drew me closer because I just, it was so foreign and new and out of nowhere. We had just moved to Manhattan. We had three children in elementary school. Uh, I was kind of like ready to have this 
fun midlife reset and my youngest was starting kindergarten. So I had been home full time with kids for about 10 years. And so for me, it was a very exciting season. I'm going to New York. I went back to Parsons School of Design and tried to kind of stretch those vocational muscles again, recover, mm-hmm. like where was Rebecca before children <laughs> and just see and and yet this became uh, this panic attack. The very first one was about four months into my time there. And it was out of the blue on a flight back from Atlanta to LaGuardia landing about midnight. And something just rose in me and overcame me and consumed me with a kind of fear I had never known. So for mm. me, it was like a, a rapid onset. And I was like, what? <laughs> what just happened? And it was rooted in claustrophobia that then turned into manifesting on planes, trains, elevators subways and crowds so we had just lived in Manhattan you know only about four months and so I Mm. knew that this was my new reality and almost everywhere I went I was crippled with fear so because it was so great and so intense and so sudden I, I I felt like I was in panic mode, like, God, you know how you get, like, when you're so afraid, you're like, God, God, where are you? Like, help me, help me, help yeah. me. It was just mm-hmm. this kind of cadence of crying out, like, what is happening? Are you there? What are you going to do about this? Um, yeah. So for me, it drew me to God because it was an, there was an urgency to it, a desperation attached to it and a dependence that I felt like I had no choice, but to go, God, like you need to help me understand how to make sense of this. Mm. Now, had you had, you said it was rooted in claustrophobia. Had you had experiences of that before or was that all new to you, this whole experience? Yeah, not to my knowledge, but uh, mm-hmm. what the more I've studied from claustrophobia is that it represents powerlessness. It mm-hmm. represents you being trapped in a circumstance or a situation that you don't have agency to change. So there's a there's a me- meta narrative around claustrophobia, and then there's obviously there could be specific like no, I don't remember being locked in a trunk or <laughs> in a closet or trapped in a small space, but I do know that there's been seasons of my life where I felt powerless, powerless Mm. to change the circumstance, powerless to not have a voice to, to create change. Um, And so for me, it does trapped really was the bigger metaphor. Uh, And I think a lot of listeners can resonate with that. What, what experience in your life did you feel trapped and powerless to affect change? Yes. And it doesn't have to be like a big T trauma. It could be a small chronic trauma that you just live with for a large season of your life. And um, I think for me, I just developed survival skills at a young age of performance. And performance meant that if I do enough and be enough and give the people what they want, then I'll be worthy of love. That is the Mm. condition in which they will like me. Um, So the approval of man got really loud for me. Um, Even in church, that got loud for me. At school, that got loud for me. I had to kind of be the uh, all-American girl that was always friendly, always gracious, always kind, always never complaining, putting on her her best foot forward because that was what was affirmed. That Mm. was when I was given a little more... um, attention. And that was when I felt loved. So as a result, I think the Lord, honestly, in that season of New York, I would have just reentered that performing mentality. I mean, Mm. I would have just 
gone back to like, oh, now I'm going to prove myself in the workplace, just like I had mm. to quote unquote, try to prove myself as a mother. And, but yet the Lord disrupted that because even a decade prior, uh, my firstborn son at 26, six hours later, we find out that he has, uh, symptoms of down syndrome, like kind mm. of markers of down syndrome, which was confirmed a week later with genetic genetic testing. So it was almost like God was saying, I'm not going to let you be super mom in motherhood. I want to take this performer away by giving you Mm. a child who's not going to perform for worth. Like right out of the womb, you're going to learn the unconditional love I have for you as a father when you engage that as a mother for your son. And, and that did work that, that Mm -hmm. actually stripped away my, I mean, it was painful Let's be honest. I'm a, yes. first, I'm a firstborn type A high achiever, achiever. <laughs> who found her worth through hustle. <laughs> yes. And God gives me a firstborn son right out of the gates going, he's not going to earn your love. He is already worthy of your love just as your son. And I want you to learn what unconditional love really means. Not yes. in, not just in the giving, but in the receiving. So I do feel like the Lord nurtured me in that season to learn that. But as I was was like, okay, we're going to now go back and like prove something. It's like the muscle memory of proving something to the world is still in there. Preach it, girl. I hate it. It It's so true. It's like an old habit, old shoe. We just keep going back to it. Right. Because it was our formation. When Mm -hmm. you think about the foundation of our ideologies of life, of our ideologies of faith, ourselves, others, um, work, those are established foundationally in our family of origin. They they just are. Uh, It might be the church context or the school context. It was just basically the influences in your life set the foundation for how you view the world. And while the Lord interrupted that, you know, at 26 with Cade, I I really do think now even saying this out loud that as I was going to begin my vocational work um, again, which is the Rebecca performing side, God's Mm -hmm. going, wait a minute, we can do this your way or we can do this my way because God still has destiny for all of us in the womb. It says in Psalm 139, all your days were written and planned before one of them began Mm -hmm. and that he formed us in our mother's womb and his works were wonderful. His eyes saw our unformed body, right? So he put in us. He knit us. He gave us the the DNA to fulfill the destiny that he already saw in advance. He's basically saying the gifts I give you will allow you to actually walk freely in the the plans and purposes I've established. Um, now you can do it your way, um, but but <laughs> there is a rollout strategy where the father calls out destiny over a daughter. And I think he used that onset in New York to remind me, you and I can go far, but we can do it this way, or you can just strive. You can spend the next decade of your life just striving and hustling and proving. And I'd love to say that that lesson was killed to the ground, you know, like that idol um, of approval was killed to the ground, you know, in that first year, but it has been a slow death. You know, you mm-hmm. think of how long it takes to establish an idol and to build yes. an idol and to prop mm-hmm. it up and grow it. Um, I think it takes at least half that amount of time of that same time to dismantle that idol. Yes. And so while he gave me victory in, you know, a, a decade ago of going, yes, I no longer bow to the approval of man or submit that my worth. Uh, I used to literally believe the lie that um, 
I'm not worthy of love unless I earn it. And the Lord has taken me through a decade still of going, I am chosen and beloved and appointed and set apart just as I am, like Mm. just in the way he made me. I do not have to hustle to prove something God already says is true. And so as a result, I don't feel the waves of panic anymore. He did bring me peace. He walked me out on a healing journey this last decade through just these markers of rhythms of emotional health, which I've written now, I guess, I'm on my fourth trade book about this and some studies and other tools. But it's almost like I keep writing so that I can keep preaching to myself. Yes, yes. And well, yeah, the healing that you bring to others is the healing that God's doing in you. Mm -hmm. Right. It's as he heals you, you then I, I love this is reminding me of Paul's words. Uh, Praise be to the God of comfort who comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves receive. Right. So as you're being comforted, you're bringing comfort to others. Mm, Now, when you when you were in New York and you were going through this, you had already obviously, you know, Cade was born. How old was he when you went to New York? Uh, He was nine. So this this really rapid onset was around his 10th birthday. So Mm -hmm. it was interesting that he was marking a decade Mm. uh, with like, okay, now we're going to do a deeper dive into the heart healing of this. The layers, how God peels the layers. I know. Wow. Now, how have the rhythms, I I love your book, you know, Rhythms of Renewal, which is your first book. You told so much of this story very vulnerably. And, but how have these rhythms helped you remember and reset your heart with God? Yeah. I I love that you use the word remember. I'm studying a lot about Joshua and um, Israel and how often they had to set up stones of remembrance. Mm -hmm. The riverbed of Jordan and Gilgal, how often they had to remember. And then now we take the Eucharist. Why? To remember, to remember, to remember. It's not that we don't believe what you and I are saying is true. It's that we so easily forget. That's right. Right. And I think that's kind of a strategy of the enemy is like, if I can just distract, then it will eventually distort. Right. Like if I can just kind of get you thinking about other things and get your head down and facing the minutia of your day, eventually I'll be able to, to, to accuse or tempt or lie. And you'll, you just will have forgotten. Oh, wait, wait, God actually already reminded me of what was true about this. He's actually done a healing work in this area, but somehow I've forgotten that. Um, and, and I, and I think the rhythms for me were these guardrails of remembrance. They truly were like, if I set these patterns in my life on a daily basis, then I, my prayer is to have longevity, like Mm -hmm. endurance, uh, to perseverance, this idea of sustained emotional, spiritual, relational, vocational health. And for the day. Yeah. If I don't, if I don't do that, uh, if I don't actually take them seriously, they seem so simple, right? They seem kind of obvious, but the problem is they are, and we still forget. And so to to me, the practice of it, the practice of the rhythm every day, every morning, um, every afternoon, every evening 
is the cadence that keeps me constantly in tune with the Holy Spirit and with, with what God is actually wanting to remind me. Hey, Rebecca, I've not given you a spirit of fear. I've given mm-hmm. you power, love, and a sound mind. And if you meet me in these rhythms of resting, restoring, connecting, and creating, you'll know that's true. It's not yes. just an idea or a theory. It will actually become an experience, a cadence of transformation. So the way I say it is like transformation happens one small step at a time. Yes. It's the fact that you just keep going. Mm-hmm. Well, so when you wrote this book, Rhythms of Life, and you're, you're, you've been practicing these rhythms, where did you pull that from? In other words, you know, how did you create that set of rhythms in, in particular? I, mm-hmm. I know right now there's more interest in the ancient practices, spiritual practices. I, I feel like we went away from that for a while in, in our Christian, you know, faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're going back to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, what was your draw? Where did, you, where did you go? What was your well to create these practices that, that now you have to constantly remind yourself to do, but still they're foundational for you? They are. Well, you know what? It was actually... It was God. So, so this, the long short of the story of 10 years ago with panic attacks and anxiety, and I still get triggers of anxiety like everybody else, but even the rhythms help me know how to respond. So we can get mm. to that later. But um, what happened was after walking in panic attacks for about a year and a half, one night I just cried out to the Lord and I just said, rescue me, deliver me. I cannot do this without you. And in that moment in particular, my body broke and I was flooded with peace. And I didn't have language for that experience other than I felt like the Lord just met me in my distress. And I think of how often that happens in Psalms, right? In my distress, I cried out and God heard. And he said, you rescued me because you delighted in me. And with my God, I can attack a barrier and leap a wall. Like David is talking about this a lot about in my distress, I cried out and you heard. You reached down from on high and you pulled me out of a deep well. You heard. So whatever that healing would be called, for me, it meant the supernatural peace of Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, kind of somehow met me in that moment of despair and just said, I'm here, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And what that looked like for me going forward was a healing journey. I did not have another panic attack for seven years. It wow. was the slow and steady steps of walking out of my apartment building, um, starting to see more clearly, starting to actually take my eyes off me and my sickness and looking up and looking out and seeing everybody else, having an empathy for others, learning that one in four were just like me, gripped in in fear, struggling with anxiety or depression, even in people of faith, right? Like this is a large number and that number has grown obviously in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was kind of one of the earlier people in the church space to talk about it because it was so visceral. And the Lord, (laughs) when you talk about birthright gifts, I feel like the Lord made me a chronic oversharer and then gave me a story I couldn't shut up about. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, I didn't have shame, thankfully, attached to it so that I could give language to it where other people were like, I'm walking through this, but I feel like my, I feel shame maybe because my faith's not strong enough or people are saying you shouldn't struggle with these things. And I was like, nope. Uh, there's not any condemnation on those who are in Christ. Um, we're a new creation. So basically, Jesus is inviting us to meet us in whatever those places of pain. He never condemned those people before he healed them. He that's just right. met them with love and mercy. And um, that's kind of my mantra. That's why I'm going to yes, stick to that. But what happened is I left the city for a summer and... Um, 
I begin to write the story of rescue. This is how I kind of coined that first moment of peace is a rescue of God. And I go back in the city at the end of that summer and I have to get on the QR train to Long Island City in Queens. And I, as I'm descending the steps underground, like the lower and lower I go, because those trains between boroughs, those subways between boroughs are the deepest. So you're, mm-hmm. you feel like you're plunging into like, you're like, you're going to enter hell at some point. You're like the depths of the <laughs> earth, like how many floors below Can the I street? Go? <laughs> yeah. And as I kept going, I felt the panic start to rise again in my chest. Mm-hmm. And I got on the train. It was just me and like a 70 year old sweet man, because I made sure I didn't go during rush hour. Cause I didn't want to be like squished. Locked on with all those people. Uh huh. But then it's also a little eerie to be alone as well. Yes, like if you're trapped alone. So it's just me and this guy and I'm smiling. And the whole time the train goes, it's a, it's a total of what, like two minutes between the stops. But I'm like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Like under my breath, I just keep time. going, you're my peace. You're my peace. You are my peace. I kept going. And I just kept saying his name. I remember walking back up to the street level all the way back up those flights of stairs. And when I got home that afternoon, I said, Lord, I need rhythms of renewal so that I can walk free. I need you to give me practices in my life so that I can live this out. Because I'm going to still live in New York. I'm going to have to get on subways. I'm going to have to get on elevators. I'm going to have to get on planes. Will you help me have rhythms for health that will help remind me every minute of every day that you are with me? And so Mm. I remember that day I wrote out like, okay, I want to work out. I want to eat right. I want to make sure I'm connecting in friendships, like going to coffee dates. Uh, I read The Artist's Way at the time by Julie Cameron, and I I wanted an artist date where I'd be stimulated to create. And um, so I was already establishing without knowing then these four rhythms of rest, restore, connect, and create. And they they crystallized very... um, like throughout the years. But in that day, it's like, I knew I needed rhythms of a whole Mm -hmm. person. And so the way that these came for me was, if you think of like humanity, like the whole person of us as a pie, and we've got um, four parts, we've got spiritual health, we've got physical health, we've got relational health, and vocational health. Mm-hmm. Those first two, fi- yes. spiritual and physical, are input rhythms. They, they fill us up. They fuel us. They give us, like, they take us back to the well of replenishment. So spiritual health is rest. And physical health is restore. And then once those, those input rhythms actually give us the abundance or the overflow, then we are actually equipped to go back out and offer what we've yes. received, which is connect for relational health and create for vocational health. And so rest, restore, connect, create our bounding, our building blocks. Like rest is a foundation. If we, if we don't, we don't run to earn rest. We will run fueled from rest, a mm-hmm. posture of rest. Then we build our bodies with strength. Then we actually um, are able to initiate in vulnerability or hospitality or forgiveness or grace, uh, fighting for relationships and connection. And then finally create. The reason why I end with create is because when we had a good night's sleep and we ate a, and we had time with God and we ate a healthy breakfast and we're working with the people that we love, we can create beautiful things. Like so much of our vocational work yes. is collaborative and it's really hard to have mm-hmm. healthy 
vocational work if you're not in unity with the people that you're with, right? Yes, so yes. making sure those relationships are strong so that you can run faster and harder in a way that's not striving, but more abundant and free. Um, and so that's kind of how those rhythms came to be. Now, along this journey, thank you, Rebecca, for that. And of course, I'm going to put the book link and everything on the show notes so people can go check it out and all the resources you're creating for that. Along this journey of faith, because of the listeners that I'm, that I'm sharing this with, are people, some of the people who are dealing with some struggle along their journey of faith, did you ever feel God distant? Do you ever feel, did you ever doubt that God was there for you? And, and how did you deal with that? Yes. Did the rhythms help or was there a different way to deal with that? Well, the rhythms, there were seasons and there have been that, those seasons in the last three years while I'm writing the book and after it came out, especially last year during COVID for so many, right? Like doubt enters in when you're in isolation and we were never meant to be alone. We are a communal people made by a communal God. And so we're going to actually be most vibrant when we're not isolated. But that made that very challenging in these last several 18 months, right? This this last year um, fought against um, what we really need, which is connection and gave us yeah. a lot of isolation. So we had to work all the more harder for that connectivity, even remotely on Zoom, on you know FaceTime, whatever that looked like. We were all desperate, like we're going to have more of a mental health crisis than we are a physical health crisis from. COVID, if we don't get serious about intentional connection, even in lockdown. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, I think my whispers of doubt came in that season of, of lostness, like doubt can come creep in with when things are lost, like what you had is no longer there at your grieving. Um, And I also think there's adversity that comes at us that if it comes for a very long season of time, we can start to wear down and break down. Like our resilience starts to fade. And um, so I'm, I'm really studying right now, just like what are, what are the rules for resilience? I'm, I'm very curious about that coming out of lockdown, coming out of COVID, because I see um, just like there's a global pandemic of a virus, I actually see that there's a pandemic of fear um, yes. that have suppressed people's immunity to re- be resilient. Like their yes. their desire, their hunger, their um, ability, their capacity. And I, and I fundamentally believe that that is rooted in isolation because mm. we're so much stronger together. We're so much yes. stronger together. We need each other to remind us what is true and what is not true. The enemy has a lot more ground when he can whisper lies and we have no rebuttal but our own. But right. I might sometimes go out of fatigue like, yeah, you're right. I really have nothing to offer the world. What, am I, what was I ever thinking? I have no original thoughts. Everyone's like me. I'm just as much of a hot mess as everybody else. Why do I even do the work I do? Right? Like we can rabbit hole, spiral into that rabbit hole. and then I so relate with that. <laughs> right? And then someone yes. outside of us to say, remember, no, that yes. is not true. Remember, we can see things more objectively when we're removed from it. Mm-hmm. But we're, when we're all our in our own heads and we're the only ones having this narrative with someone who's trying to thwart all the work that God has done, then uh, that to me is like, you know, phone a friend, that connect rhythm comes in full steam. Like you need to lead with vulnerability. You need to reach out. You need to extend, like you just, 
you're not going to be resilient alone. And so yes. for me, that has been a huge piece of people I'm finding in the clinical space, right? So I was just at a mental health summit last week um, for how to help equip the church um, with science and faith paired, because you cannot have one without the other. Um, That's true. I, if we offer a clinical perspective without a lens of faith, we're not unique to the world. We're mm-hmm. actually not like they, they might as well just go There's anywhere of that out there. Right? Yeah. They might as well just well go anywhere for tools and tips and resources. And I'm not saying those things aren't a help because they absolutely are. But when you pair those Reese's with the spirit of God himself, the power to comfort and advocate on our behalf in our distress, then all of a sudden that invites the power of God to yes. interfere when we are in a like delusional downward spiral to remind us of what is true, to call us back to himself, to be the Prince of peace that we are so desperately needing. And so I'm, I'm just going to hopefully preach this as long as God gives me language and gives me words is that our mental health is contingent on science and faith or put it in the mm. other order for me on faith and science. Be, and the beauty of this is, and the reason why there's no shame here is that God himself is the author and perfecter of our faith. We are not. Yes. So That's all right. we have to do is say, God, would you fortify my faith through this trial? Would you actually show me how to pray? Show yes. me how to draw near to you. I, I f- you feel so distant. I feel so many doubts that you're just not real or you're not showing up. You know, if we just had the vulnerability to go to God with that, like like David did, like, don't try to like pray these f- perfect prayers or right. feel like you have to perform for God. No, it's go to God with your rawness and your desperation and your longing and your despair. Yes. Um, he is big enough for that. He will meet Amen. you there. And I have found that when I spiral in doubt, the very first thing I do is I get outside. We have a trail, like a hiking trail near our house. I get outside and I just have an ugly cry with the Lord and I just spill it all. And I'm like, I'm mad at you. I'm like legit mad. (laughs) And I think it's directed at you. And I, and I, and I want to feel like I'm tempted to feel shame for that, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm crying out of the longing for connection and provision mm-hmm. for you from you. Mm-hmm. So will you meet me here? And Amen. God does, he never denies a heart expectant. He will not, Amen. he will not deny the fact that you are crying out in that way. And it's like anything in life, whatever you sow, you will, you will reap. So if yes. you sow intimacy and vulnerability with the Lord, you will reap that back. You will get that connection. You will feel that nearness because he's a rewarder. Scripture says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So to me, yes, of course, the tempter, the doubts, the angst, the, the frustration will continue to be prevalent if I'm not matching that fear with faith. If I'm not mm-hmm. matching that, like crying travail, like what did I call it? Wailing walks. If I'm yes. not matching that despair and doubt with a wailing walk of like, God, I need you now, like today, right now. Um, then you're right. Then the, the doubt will consume us, but it yes. doesn't have to. And I think it starts with inviting, obviously the Lord in and then inviting the people we trust who mean well, who are our wise counsel. Don't invite the people in who are just going to tell you to numb out and escape. You know, don't invite the people in who aren't going to give you godly. They aren't going to send you back to what God says in his word that is true about you. But if you do want um, endurance and, 
and perseverance. Invite the people in who have gone that road with you, who believe in the fullness of life over you, and will be willing to tell you that. I love that. I think that's a great place for us to end this conversation because I have many more questions and not enough time, right? (laughs) But Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your wisdom, all that you've learned. I hope this is super encouraging to those who have listened. And like I said, I will put your information on the show notes so people can check out all these great things that you're writing. And we look forward to hearing more about this next project. Thank you again. (gasps) Well, Inez, I'm just so thankful for you. I have told you this privately, but you've been such a catalyst for my growth and just been such a sweet, generous person in my life. I'll never forget you hosting um, like a book warming party or book launch party with my first book. Free Fall to Fly. Free Fall to Fly so many (laughs) years ago where I just yeah wrote that story of that panic disorder and God meeting me in that rescue moment. And I just think of what you're doing with this podcast and how many, like how your own hunger for God is, is pouring out in all your listeners. And I just want to affirm what you're doing and, and, and just encourage you and champion you in the same way you have done for me to just keep going, keep seeking after truth, having trusted God people on this podcast that are encouraging um, because you're right mental health is not going away Um, the enemy still comes to steal kill and destroy but Christ has already declared victory giving us life I've come that you'd have life and you would have it to the full and this is an expression of that so thank you for being that hope for so many people thank you thank you Rebecca Oh, wasn't that great listening? I mean, Rebecca was concise and to the point and said so much. And and I think the part that I love the most is her vulnerability, her willingness to share the pain that she struggled with. When, when she talked about going to New York and being at a time in her life where she could start over and, you know, kind of take over the world again, and then suddenly being hit with such a painful experience of... Um, really a sense of fear of being in, in tight spaces and then the anxiety and the confusion that threw her in. I really appreciated her honesty. Mm-hmm. I don't think enough people share uh, that kind of struggle. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I appreciate that she was um, in a space over the her recent season to be able to share because I, I do think that, um, you know, not everyone is going to have the ability to always share and share that kind of stuff well, right? And um, mm-hmm. so I think when... When certain folks find, you know, a certain level of confidence and experience to be able to to put out there, it is a brave and a, and a courageous thing to do. And to be honest, it it isn't it isn't for everybody to always share either. Because sometimes I think that's you know, true. people I think sometimes might share a bit prematurely, where it's like you know, there's still a lot of processing that needs to be worked out. And sometimes being almost too vulnerable too soon could actually be harmful. And so, um, but I'm glad that. I totally yeah, get that. Yeah, and so I'm glad that she's speaking from a, a really solid experience and a lot of, and I, I'm not, and not, uh, a little tongue tied there. I'll <laughs> edit that. <laughs> and that she had been, um, had like kind of built a lot of language around her experience through a lot of her writing. And so I think that yes. um, obviously it's been her one of her main ways for being able to to process all of this. And um, so, you know, she, she did a great well, job. Well, in a way, that, wouldn't you say by doing so, she gives voice to those who don't have the words yet 
or or maybe they're you know they're in a position where sharing is just not for them. And I get that, Andy. When I share my story, a lot of people come up and they're like, "I want to share my story too." And it's like, well, go with the Lord in that. You you, you know that's a process. Mm-hmm. It it may seem very polished to you now, and you want to get there, but it's it gets it's a messy process, and it's not for yeah, everybody. Yeah. So great distinction. But uh, yeah, she gave she gave voice to people who are experienced that in, in a beautiful way. And through her yeah, books. absolutely. And and again, as you mentioned, like at the top of the show, you know, um, having a, an openness and awareness to you know the mental health, you know, pandemic, <laughs> you know that that we're yeah. kind of seeing, you know, worldwide mm-hmm. is um, is such a necessary thing. As you know, over the past couple of decades, it's become a more um, accepted conversation to really dialogue about, like, you know, how does the mind, you know, relate with the body, and and how does that all work itself out? Um, so, especially mm-hmm. in 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 these types of spaces where we're talking about the church, um, it, it's such a necessary conversation that we still need to keep having. You yes. know, that still it still feels very new um, in that space. And so, um, well, I think many of us have been like, okay, we're we're now talking about it in the bigger spaces. It's like right and. We still need to keep talking about it as it makes its way down to many and many of other all these other spaces. So, you know, the work there isn't done, you know, and so. Um, no, no. Yeah. And my passion for that, Andy, is that I, I can't tell you how many people I spoke to who have some sort of uh, anxiety, depression problem, and they get told, well, you have to have faith. Or you, you know, you, or they went and got prayed for and they felt better and they feel good. And then they start to have anxiety again and they worry that, okay, my faith is broken. I don't have a good faith with God. And, or they get told, well, you let go of that. You, you know, you let go of the promise. You have to hold on to the promise. And that's just so damaging because it really messes you up in thinking like I'm doing something wrong or God's doing something wrong, you know, or the church is doing, I mean, everything's wrong there and there's no relief. So it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. And so, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard. And, and if that's, you know, if you're listening and that's you and it feels like, you know, yeah. you're being told by, you know, other believers that it's that somehow you're not measuring up as it relates to your belief or your faith. And that's what's not healing um, your anxiety or depression. Um, know that that's just not true. Um, you know, can God, you know, mm-hmm. actually like heal and reconcile, you know, things away from that? Yes. Absolutely. Um, but I don't, yes. uh, I think that's a little dangerous if people are telling you that, you know, you don't have the faith. And I know they're kind of trying to stand on the backs of that scripture of like, you know, not having enough faith to see miracles. Don't ask yeah. Without. You know, and, and it's yes. like, yes. Um, I, I don't really feel that that's an appropriate use of, uh, you know, that kind of scripture in that context. And so um, it could be damaging, yeah. right? And what I liked about Rebecca too is she puts practices what I like about her rhythms is this idea that I get to co-labor with God in my mm-hmm. healing. Yeah. That's like good. I have, I, I have a part to play and how I care for myself and understanding my needs and, and my challenges and then walking with God mm-hmm. in that. That to me is far more beautiful and inspiring when we see God working every single moment, not just in, you know, obviously it's amazing when God does a miracle and it's done, but when God chooses to walk with us in all those ups and downs, that's really beautiful to me. That's more c- conducive to the journey of faith. I understand mm-hmm. God's taste to work. Yeah, on. and and she also said, you know, transformation takes place one step at a time, and um, yeah. you know that, and that's that's true. You know, it's 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 de- small decisions every single day that help start making the long term change. You know, and so and and those who've um, you know struggled with depression and anxiety, myself included, it's uh, you know you you you'll be working for years on stuff that's just working up you know uphill on the positive and um yeah sometimes it just takes uh you know the wrong circumstances to kind of you know send you to a place you don't want to be in and um but 
you know, hopefully, usually by those times, there might have been something that that acts as a catch that kind of gets you moving again because, you know, by then you've built a different tool set and, you know, some things like that. So, yeah. An awareness, like you say, mm-hmm. just an awareness and a grace for yourself. Yeah. That when you experience it, you're not down on yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like the, her her pattern, the rhythms of, of, of you know, her, I think it's rest, renewal. Oh, gosh, she's going to give me a fail here for not knowing the four. But her her rhythms that she shares are good for mm-hmm. everybody. They're good mm-hmm. for everybody. Um, but um, but I like that they have a, she has a very specific desire for it to meet the needs of those who are struggling on the journey. Um, and I get, you know, in our topic for Uncharted, we're talking to people who are dealing with all kinds of re- reasons and challenges along the journey of faith. And I feel like the rhythms that she shares are good for all mm-hmm. of that. That's why I, I really specifically thought she would be great yeah. to have here. Yeah. Thanks, Rebecca. That was great. All right. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to Uncharted Podcast with Inez Franklin. Learn more about Inez at unchartedpod.com. Follow Inez's journey on Instagram at Inez Franklin. Sign up for our email list to receive direct access to online experiences and more. Thanks for listening and join us again next time. Thank you.